I tell you what, we've decided, we've been here like this is about the third night. And the way everything's going, we've decided we're going to come and live here. Because you're so nice. <laughs> I tell you what though, I tell you what, if we don't make it, you'll know that um, the police in England would rather stay there, has it? This is um, a thing by Muddy Waters. This is also on our album. Yeah. It's called You Shook Me. Thank you for joining me, Mark McFall, for the All Things Led Zeppelin podcast. Zepp fan, this is episode 11. If you want to listen to previous podcasts, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, search Led Zeppelin, search Zepp fan, we will be there. If you'd like to reach out to me, it's contact at zepfan.com. Our next guest was the world's largest Led Zeppelin memorabilia dealer from 1985 to 2001. That's right. He was the Amazon of Led Zeppelin memorabilia before the internet existed. For almost two decades, he has been responsible for providing us fans with collectibles, ranging from the everyday collectibles to the very rare one-of-a-kind items. He also provided memorabilia to the Led Zeppelin box set to release, as well as appeared on Led Zeppelin TV special in Canada, Friends and Family. We have today with us the one and only Rick Barrett. Rick, how are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for connecting, Mark. It's a joy to be with you. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. And it's great to see you. I know we go way back, and I can't yes. thank you enough for doing all, all the things you've done in the past, and I know you're still doing it. Um, and you so I, as well. It's great that you continue to carry the torch so beautifully. Right. I just can't get it out of my system. I've tried a couple times, you know, but it's just like this, this want to kind of... Sh- get into Zeppelin and share memorabilia or just talk about it. It's, it's always going to be with me. And I think that that's what happens after about a decade of doing it. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's infectious, isn't it? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Thank you again for joining me. I just want to say, I, you know, I know you're still active on eBay and you specialize yeah. in tickets. Um, yeah. What else is keeping you preoccupied these days? Well, I, besides my eBay business, I do some writing and I have interests outside of my own memorabilia world. Uh, I'm actually active in the, philatelic or stamp collecting world i wrote my first book and uh it won a couple medals and was well received and uh uh really what motivated me to go there is i'd done product writing for so long that uh, about 10 years ago i said i just want to write about things i want to write about and so that led me into that world and i had a blast with it and so i'm continuing to do uh, more writing and articles and presentations in that arena very cool. And I think that's interesting. You brought up product uh, descriptions because when I was doing my website and I kind of have a section that I put descriptions in there, I, I can never match what you did. Cause I remember reading your, your, your descriptions. Look, I, I have a whole bunch of them here. I mean, I have, <laughs> I mean, all your catalogs right there, yes, this. but yes. I remember reading these things and it just, you make me want to like, Oh, I need that now, regardless of what it was. It's like, Oh, I have to have that. So you I are just, amazing at doing that. <laughs> I just keep saying adjectives, adjectives. <laughs> right. Exciting. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's the name of the book if someone wants to look it up? Well, it's called Buffalo Cinderella's. And Cinderella's is a term that is associated with souvenir stamps. Uh, and these are collectibles that stamps that aren't good for postage, but they were primarily used to promote an event, uh, a person, a club, something like that. And so uh, it's basically the historical biographies of two fellas uh, that sold souvenir stamps for a World's Fair held in Buffalo uh, in oh, nice. 1901. Oh, there you go. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, great. That's great. Well, speaking of stamps, I mean, isn't there Led Zeppelin stamps or just are they more memorabilia style stamps? There are. And actually, I'm interested in pursuing an exhibit in that arena. There, You know, one of the things in the philatelic world that, that goes back to the 1890s is that stamp collectors, they uh, there's a lot of clubs they can be in and they can submit uh, frames or exhibits to stamp shows for people to enjoy when they go and attend those functions. And so uh, I have, oh gosh, there's probably um, 50 or 60 Led Zeppelin related stamps or souvenir sheets that I have. And it would be a real treat to put them in an exhibit and, uh, you know, bring uh, the two worlds together. (laughs) Exactly. That's what it's all about. So I want to dive back a little bit about you being a memorabilia dealer, right? So obviously you started off as a collector, um, so what prompted you in uh, what year did you say, okay, I'm going to move from collecting to being a dealer? 
Well, I was, uh, I've been a collector since, gosh, I was 10, and I actually started in the stamp world. Uh, then autographs, uh, hockey autographs, because my, uh, yeah, my, my grandparents lived a couple blocks from the arena in Buffalo. Um, and I worked in a, a coin and stamp store as a teenager. So when I went to the University of Houston and uh, finished my time there, uh, I wound up wanting to interact with younger people. Stamp collectors sometimes can uh, be filled with a lot of older folks. And uh, although there is a vibrant young, especially since the pandemic, uh, vibrant young collecting world there, and it's wonderful to see people getting involved in that hobby. But um, so I wanted to interact with younger people as a teenager. So I started selling used records first through the mail, um, Trouser Press Magazine in 1979. And uh, they uh, were a wonderful uh, outlet. Then I opened a flea market just on weekends. And one of the things in Houston was, first of all, so many people were coming to Houston uh, for jobs in the late 70s. It was a really a melting pot of people. And uh, there were blue laws, which meant that uh, businesses had to be closed either on a Saturday or Sunday. And most conventional businesses closed Sunday. So we cleaned up at the flea market on I, on I, Sundays. And uh, literally, it was amazing. Uh to illustrate, I opened that business in May of 79 with like four or five crates of records. By Christmas, I had 35 crates of used records. I was hauling there every weekend and uh, it was it was tremendous. So that eventually morphed into a record store uh, in 1981, a used record store. And, um, you know, my Zeppelin interest had been a thread all through my life, even when I got to that that place. Right. Very cool. And I remember some of your very first, um, and I have them here, some of your, your very first list, it was just list, you know, just type right in because yeah. we didn't have desktop publishing back then. We didn't have any computers. And then you kind of branched out to this over a massive newspaper style and paste ups and stuff like that with photos. So I'm sure that helped Excel selling this stuff as well. Did you have a background in the newspaper paste ups or is that just kind of <laughs> learn on the fly on how to print this stuff? You know, the first catalog, I remember I pasted it up and about the next six or eight, maybe uh, in Kinko's at the Kinko's copy ma machines. Right. I would cut out different things. I can look back and I can see where some of the little you know, graphics <laughs> right. words, yeah. I, I got them out of the newspaper and just pasted them on my thing. But, um, you know, when I went to the uh, uh, used record store, I just wound up stashing every Zeppelin related thing that I could find. A lot of it I wanted, but a lot of it was extras and duplicates. And I was into bootlegs by then, which was just a thrill, obviously. And uh, great year uh, to be into bootlegs, too. That was the kind of the, when they kind of took off. Oh, that's another wonderful topic to touch on. And uh, uh, so I decided to put out a Zeppelin catalog in 85, just when I, I left the record store. And I thought, you know, I'm going to sell all this stuff um, and I hope people enjoy it. And that'll be that. Well, it didn't. <laughs> that wasn't the case. So many people I was doing record shows. Uh, I had gotten a van. I was filled uh, that van with, you know, 35 crates of records. I drove all over the country doing shows, uh, uh, you know, three out of four weekends a, a month. I went to I've been to 47 states. So wow. I was doing record shows. And um, also uh, advertising in Goldmine magazine. I loved Goldmine. It was oh, yeah. just a, a weekly that was terrific. 200 pages, little bitty ads. and It was great. And uh, so the uh, uh, catalog, when I put it out, which I thought, I'll sell this and we'll be done with it. So many people then started writing to me and bringing me stuff at these conventions, thinking that I was the Zeppelin collector guy. <laughs> so it was like, well, I might as well buy it. I'd make an offer. And it just kind of ballooned. And, uh, you know, it wasn't long. And you mentioned the, the subsequent catalogs being more involved. And it's because of just what I accumulated. And uh, I knew that there were other dealers or collectors that were putting out specialized catalogs for the Stones, for the Beatles. Right. I think there was a Zappa one. And I thought, nobody's doing a Zeppelin one. Why not do that? So that's kind of how it all got started. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Was it a bi-monthly or was it a monthly or it just got so busy you just put them out whenever you could? 
No, it, well, I did annual catalogs, 32 page catalogs. The mega it's, ones, right? Is that yeah, the, the mega yeah. ones, the, the annual ones. In fact, you know who printed those? Um, I needed a printer and somebody suggested go to this place. They were the folks that made the inserts for the, uh, you know, the grocery stores that you get in the oh, mail. Right. And so uh, they're like, sure, we print up this stuff all the time. What do you want? And that turned out to be a terrific relationship for the whole the whole time I did them. And uh, so I did the annual ones till about 19. Well, I, I did them throughout, but I exclusively did the annual ones alone until maybe 1990. And then I went to buy monthly. I got off the road. And I needed an income stream. So I said, okay, I'm going to do Led Zeppelin catalogs every other month. And then I'll do other, I did another collector's catalog. I had a poster one. I had an autograph one. And that's what came out the other months. And uh, I got a, uh, I hired a lady who was um, a middle-aged lady. And she put all the names that I had acquired into the computer. One of the best things I did when I was on the road was have a, a you know a pad of paper saying you want to be on my mailing list my Led Zeppelin mailing list and I came back you know after six years with just stacks and stacks and so that allowed me to really not miss a beat once I went to the bi monthly thing because they went out to so many people right and it was such a huge source and I remember you know being a collector getting that thing in the mail and you would just you know from Meredith or from Rick Baird or Meredith Ventures and you'd rip it open and just like analyze everything like I said read the descriptions and like okay what am I going to get so yeah. there's always something in there you always had something new yeah um, so let me see if I had the date right and um and you could correct me if I'm wrong so around 1993 you went from yeah. just Rick Barrett catalogs to Meredith Adventure right sure. so like what, so what prompted you to actually be business, be incorporated. I mean, be this mammoth thing. And what exactly is Merit Adventures? Well, it, it actually was 1989. And I can tell oh, because I, I'm way I, off. <laughs> had, I had two locations. I had to, uh, two things occurred. Uh, in the late 80s, probably around 88 or 89, I bought my first fax machine. <laughs> it was $600, you know, <laughs> before that, the, everything was by mail. Right. You know, if, if you did any catalog mail shopping, everything said, you know, delivery of your order within four to six weeks, you know, now we get Amazon the next day, oh, know you know, but four to six weeks was not uncommon. Nope. And, uh, so anyway, I thought, how can I get orders quicker? If they order once and I get it to them quicker, maybe they'll order faster. So I sprung $600 today and probably be twice the you know equivalent uh, for a fax machine. The first month I got orders not only from U.S. customers quickly, but I got them from overseas, Japan and, and Europe and whatever. I, I got $10,000 in order that first month. I'm like, whoa, something is happening. And so the way to get orders from overseas or by fax was to get credit cards. The only way I could get a credit card approval from a bank was to provide a business name, Rick Barrett. And so they said, no, you can't be Rick Barrett. So I'm like, well, I got to choose something. And uh, Merritt had been in another family business that uh, my father and grandfather had. So I'm like, okay. And I I, I didn't want to use just uh, anything exclusively Zeppelin related because I was selling so many other things. I remember autographs and stuff, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I did some sports memorabilia. I did uh, a little bit of stamps at the time. So um, I just added the word adventures thinking this will cover the entire <laughs> exactly. umbrella of yeah. everything. And that's as simple as it was. Uh, I needed oh, a business cool. name. Well, what's funny is I, I do remember faxing you and, you know, back then we didn't have faxes. So we'd have to go to the local like Kinko's or wherever, you know, to pay someone eight bucks to fax something to yeah. you. And yeah. I'll never forget you gave me your personal phone number one time and it was by I was buying the physical graffiti uh display from you and you gave me the number and like Mark, if you ever need anything, call me. I'm like, oh I'm in, I'm in, baby. I'm in. <laughs> so it's so that's good to get along. Like, call him. Rick, save this, save this, save this. So yes. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you time. so much. <laughs> one, I mean, did you think the success of this was gonna take off as much? And then when what what was the pinnacle of your the success? Because I feel with 1995 with the joining of Jimmy Page and Robert Plant and that tour. I mean, that must have just, from a collector standpoint, like me for tapes and videos, it was just crazy. It just exploded. So, from your standpoint and collectibles, I mean, what was that like? Well, I gotta say that the the to, to backtrack back into the 80s, the bootleg interest was what kind of fueled me. That shifted uh, when the 1988 Led Zeppelin convention occurred in 
um, the metal in Hilton, yep. but uh, because I knew that Atlantic Records folks would be there. So it's like, uh, uh-uh, no more bootleg uh, activity there. And um, so uh, what I really started to rely on was thank goodness for, you know, Robert and Jimmy's solo releases, you know, mm-hmm. uh, now and Zen was 88 outrider was 88 manic Nirvana was 90 um, fate of nations. 93. The box set was 1993. Those two were just great. That's right. Coverdale page 92. Yeah. Um, so you had the first Zep box set was 90 box set two ninety two. then page and plant 95, 96 era. So um, as long as there were releases, the you know business could stay vibrant because there was enough promo things coming out right. for people to have an interest in for me to go after and and try and help people and try and keep the lights on so um uh, i i guess you know and then you know page and plant lasted through till 98 or through 98 and then jimmy and the black crows was 2000 so uh you know it was a wonderful run um the internet in the uh, mid nineties, uh, I got on board around 94. Um, I connected with a terrific fellow who, you know, uh, Bruce Deerhake. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. He yep. was my w- webmaster. And, uh, you know, I remember when I would do those annual catalogs cause I needed to change last year's material to this year's. And there was always updates every two months on the website, but, uh, as I did another catalog, but, uh, the annual one was quite a change, uh, for the web, uh, content. And there were times Bruce and I would just be on the phone for hours and just, you know, well, I'd like this here. Can you tilt that here? I'd like the yeah, font yeah. bigger. And he was a terrific guy to, to work with. He a, was a the coding master too, especially for back then, for sure. Yes, yes. And he did search engine optimization, which oh, yeah. helped get the word about my catalog and website. So, right. so um, what you're which, saying is 95 was at the pinnacle. It just kind of just completely just kept going with all the releases yeah. and, and everything. And just the interest was there at all times with Zeppelin. Sure. There were a lot of fun times. The Zeppelin convention in 88, there was what, uh, 92 was London um, celebration days. Um, there was... Uh, 90 the the zep fest two yeah. in cleveland Grand one Curtis, in niagara sure. falls yeah those were wonderful experiences oh so yeah kept, kept things alive have, yeah i've often wondered if that would be viable to do today just because that's one of the things i've always wanted to do as a convention that's kind of on my bucket list the other thing was like a led zeppelin book memorabilia book but by me doing the the website that kind of is my memorabilia yes. and it's easier because i could keep updating too because there's always going to be updates in a book and mistakes this i could keep growing which is cool um, so I don't know if it'd be viable today. Um, it would be nice to do, but I don't know. I, yeah. I think that'd be really cool. It, there's nothing greater than hanging out with Zeppelin fans and just having yes. a good time and then, you know, doing the memorabilia and all that. Um, you mentioned bootlegs, and I was going to ask you about that, and you kind of touched on it. That's why you didn't sell them. But in the early days of the the uh, Rick Barrett catalogs or Merit Adventure catalogs, you definitely offered bootlegs LPs, which I would sure I would assume I would be a major driver for you. <laughs> so I mean, what was, uh, you pr- you stopped doing it only because you know as you got bigger, Atlantic you know found out about you. Is that what it was? Yeah, uh, I anticipated them finding out. You know, uh, I, one of the stories that I I love to share first of all is is how I got into them. If that if I might do that, please uh, do. Seven, please. Seven, Seventy-seven. Um, one of my uh, dear friends from uh, junior high and I were roommates. Uh, I had placed an order. I, I saw an ad in Rolling Stone magazine got some uh catalog out of their classifieds pied piper records i got this i ordered four zeppelin bootlegs um they were four dollars for singles eight dollars for doubles um most of them were the uh uh you know paper insert things right and i got four of them in a uh package one night uh it delivered on a friday we are i got it we went away for the weekend sunday night when we got back at seven we were camping or something we got back at seven we opened the package we stayed up all night and listened to them in order all four of those and you know the proverbial it changed my life in a way it really did it was so impactful uh i got badge holders part one 77 uh double album double live in montreal 75 uh bbc sessions and hiawatha express and we, we went to sleep like eight eight the next morning and it was wonderful and so i i just got this hunger for them and kept 
pursuing all I could find. Um, later on, when I had the, the used record store, there were people that were hustling bootlegs and wanted, hey, sure. you know, they would drive up with a trunk full of them and we'd buy whatever for the store. And uh, um, so I always wanted the Zeppelin stuff. Um, the Capitol Records swap meet was a wonderful source of those things. And uh, so I started my collection. And uh, between that time around, well, 77 till night, the summer of 90, I, I collected 689 different Ooh. Zeppelin boots. Nice. And uh, somewhere there's an old VHS <laughs> tape in the closet that's got every cover I flipped through before I Very sold cool. that collection. But um, yeah, uh, and I offered them in the early um, catalogs. And two things happened. As a dealer, I was also setting up at so many shows, and I saw a lot of uh, bootleg busts going down. Right, that was and back then, yep. I really concluded that it's just a matter of time. If you're offering them, it's going to catch up. And I said, I just don't feel like the hassle of the legal system and all that and whatever. I even saw a guy that... He was an oldies dealer. He had one Beetle bootleg that a friend asked him to sell one weekend. He got arrested. He was wow. thrown in jail days and it cost him about five or eight thousand bucks to deal with that and i said i don't want to do this so then i started moving away from that and actually one thing that was hugely impactful was in the late 80s around 88 89 was uh cds were out and the first bootleg cds came out yeah yeah i remember of those and uh that's why i sold the big lp collection in 1990 because i thought you know with the advent of cds i wonder what's going to happen to the value of boots and of of lp boots and they probably went down in the 90s to some degree and now they've obviously well now uh, vinyl is huge and you know it's just like you know original releases too there's something amazing about having a piece of vinyl it's like you know you you could sit back and listen to it read the liner notes look at the pictures you analyze every single nook and cranny of that album cds weren't like that you'd have to get your glasses even as a young person and magnifying glass to see the lyrics so it wasn't as exciting right right so as a forget that guy uh another uh collector dealer he came he mortgaged his house to buy all 689 <laughs> Zeppelin albums, Zeppelin bootlegs I had. And oh, uh, you. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was a heck of a, the summer of 90, he drove down and, and with a truck and got them all. <laughs> well, that's easy on you because shipping that stuff is kind of, oh, you're in the shipping yeah. business, but still that's a lot to ship. He made the money back in three months. Oh, so he bought it just strictly to sell it for resale. Pretty much, yeah. Not yeah. a bad deal. Not a bad deal. Yeah. So being a dealer... Um, did you collect one of everything? Cause you had so much stuff. I mean, everything, I mean, just every, you, I can't, I mean, all the licensed products, just all the books, all the magazines, everything. So you, did you collect one of everything? I, I did. And you know, uh, gosh, I hadn't even thought of that, but uh, what comes back is that in 92 and then sometime later on, uh, maybe 93 or four, I set up a couple of Led Zeppelin museums at record conventions one here in houston one in pittsburgh uh, a promoter wanted something to promote actually in each instance and uh so i was paid a fee to put up this massive display and so i was pleased that i did have one of everything at the time <laughs> um and uh you know later on that you know in the 90s there was just so much i mean you mentioned the annual catalog i think the stock that I had for that, there was about 800 items listed in those annual catalogs um, at any one time. With the, What I also did, the other five catalogs that came out through the year, they're included one-of-a-kind sections. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. you know, I, I, could, I couldn't put those one-of-a-kind sections in the annual one because if somebody bought a, a rare, you know, award or vinyl or autograph or something, then the next 11 months, I would get orders for it that I'd have to return, I'd disappoint people. So those one-of-a-kind items were only listed in the other five catalogs, and I could keep those up to date. And uh, um So, but at any one time, I didn't just have the 800 things in quantity, but I also had another about 1,400 one-of-a-kind items. And so there was about 2,200 items. And I think over the the course of the the run, there was 
about 5,000 different Zeppelin pieces Unbelievable. Uh, different went through my hands. Right. I've always loved your, because at some point you had to get your catalog system. So I know you had the catalog, like I think, you know, if it was a book, it was 006 or whatever it was, but you yes. had this number and it's like, that was a great idea to do. So there's <laughs> yeah, so there were 35 much. sections. Uh, the books were 002. Um, I remember that. I mean, <laughs> you know, 35, you're talking about books and magazines and albums and CDs and posters, press kits, autographs, uh, keychains, stickers, uh, T-shirts, glassware, uh, just so many different things. And it was interesting because, you know, there were all kinds of buyers. There were people that just wanted every postcard or, yeah, you know, or a every bunch button, of you know, there's yeah. something for everybody. Yeah, it was amazing. And, and there were watches that came out, glassware, yeah. you know, these were vendors the, the glassware guy, he was looking, he, he had a glassware company and he was looking for ways to obviously sell more product. And so he wound up buying the license through Winterland or something good for a year. And he got to use these five or six different Zepp, the, the four symbols or, uh, you know, the object or something like that. Right, and, right. Uh, and, and he put them on different shot glasses and tumblers and whatever. Yeah, and they're worth a lot of money now. A lot of people like to collect that older licensed stuff, especially T-shirts. Yeah. But, I mean, you see shower curtains going for a lot of money. So everybody <laughs> has their own niche, you know. It's, like, it's so funny because you put something like rare one-of-a-kind promo item or something, it gets like 20 <laughs> hits, and you put a shower curtain, and there's like 1,200 hits. So, <laughs> but, yeah, great. it's Zeppelin, and you have to love it, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so talk a little bit about – so, of course, you got magazines, you know, books licensed products, but you also had a lot of one-of-a-kind stuff, a lot of promo items and displays and stuff that would generally be from the record company that would go to the record store. I mean, how did you obtain these? Well, the Atlantic people. Uh, and, and also, you know, that initial flea market business in Houston, one of the great things about that was we were selling promo, promo records. You know, we were buying them for a quarter to two bucks from the uh, mailroom guys and that were you know, it's CBS and MCA and Warner Brothers and Capital and RCA, whatever. And they wanted party money. So they're selling, you know, they're sending out what they're supposed to, to some degree, but bringing all the extras to us to sell. And uh, so we'd say, you know, and of course, I would always pitch the uh, the Warner Electra Atlantic guy, you know, what do you got on Zeppelin? What do you got? And uh, so we became good friends. And a lot of the material that I was able to put in the catalog came from those sources. Um, I would also ask, you know, do you know anybody else? You know, uh, the Houston uh, branch offices wound up getting consolidated with Dallas offices later on in the early 80s. So that, um, you know, took away some of those sources. But I got some national sources. Um, there were Atlantic guys that contacted me from New York City. And I'm like, holy cow, this is the holy grail. You right. Know? Yeah. These guys had access to a lot. And uh, so I was able to get a lot from them. Um, they, uh, you know, I got some great one of a kind things from them. Um, there were other uh dealers on the west coast that would wind up with things and you know if i would get posters or something from non-zeppelin bands sometimes they could use them the west coast folks really were great at developing um the collectibles for new wave acts and and yeah. punk acts and that was actually more vibrant than where we were and especially at the beginning in the late 70s but um you take that stuff out to california and they went crazy over it so i was able to give them that stuff and they'd give me the zep stuff so it was a good uh, there was a lot of harmony there right. um, building so, relationships and stuff and they're making money off of it and, and yeah great it's a great way to get that stuff and offer it to us sure they're helping their their customers who want uh you know that stuff and it was good um that's also how the uh the atlantic people were the ones that came to me for box set two you know they knew i was doing this deal they got the catalog and uh they were like whoa this is a pretty amazing and um they said would you be willing to you know provide some collectibles some rare things for this booklet and i was really apprehensive at first i thought you know i i don't want to send thousands of dollars off and what happens if it gets lost yeah. what happens if somebody wants one of these or whatever and you know i had this one guy that was so great there and he was tight and involved in the project and said um yeah i will make sure everything's fine we will pay for the fedex to pick it up and return it to you it'll be you know out of your possession a week while we photograph it and uh whatever and i said okay is there any compensation and he said 
Uh, no, not on this. And I said, okay, then I, I'm going to ask for two things. I'd like to get a credit in the booklet. So it says uh, sure. memorabilia from the Rick Barrett collection. And I said, I'd also like a, uh, a letter, a signed letter on Atlantic Records stationery thanking me for use of the collection. And I got it. Oh, very good. They were great. Yeah, yeah. And doing that sometimes like, you know, all that hard work, it's because you're kind of recognized by them and it's, it's put in a book and stuff. So yeah. it's really exciting. During the time of the catalog, I mean, is there anything that really stands out of you as one item that you're really proud to get? Well, I mean, the, dude, you had so much. It just blows me away. I'm looking at these catalogs, you know, before doing this uh, interview with you. And I'm like, it just, <laughs> one, the price just blows me away as far as as, as much as they right. go down. But you had so much stuff. But anyway, is there anything yeah. that stood out that like, wow, I got this. I'm going to, this is going to be yeah. good. And you have to decide if you want to keep it or sell it. So. Right, right. The Led Zeppelin past and present promotional interview that never was released was right. probably the, the coolest thing. I remember getting the call and they said, uh, look, at they're clearing out the Atlantic Records uh, art department, uh, you know, archive. And I found three covers. Would you be interested? And I'm like, holy cow, would I be interested? <laughs> and he said, there's no records with them. I said, I don't care. It don't and matter. So, yeah. Yeah, I said, you know, we had a good enough rapport that I said, look, at I, I will take care of you. And when I got him, I'm like, wow. So I, hey. I, I got him. I paid for him. He was ecstatic. I was ecstatic. And uh, then it was a matter of marketing them. I think the first one that I, I put out, I offered on the cover of one of the catalogs. I know it's purple and black and white if you have them. But, I was looking uh, at it yeah, last night. Yeah. And uh, uh, that one was sold cover only without a record. Um, and then it wasn't long after that that um the what i i you know looking at this thing and i remember seeing the um the number assigned to the project uh ss-101 or something like that and uh uh or pr or whatever for promo anyway um i wound up going through what was left of my uh records because i sold the bootlegs but yeah. i still had tons of you know i had you know 20 different pressings of yeah. you know now and zen or something like that or led zeppelin two or whatever but i went in there and there's a section at the end where i just put uh blank white labels and whatever they were i put it at the end and i looked and i found that a record a disc with that same uh pr or whatever 102 scratched into it and i'm like what is this and it was the test pressing yes. audio that pertained to the, right. the, the record cover and I, I flipped out. I couldn't believe it. And uh, I eventually wound up acquiring another one of those. So I was able to have the last two copies or covers that I had include the record. Um, yeah. I remember I sold one to a fella in Dallas. It was a, a great guy, a, a regular customer. And then someone sold one in Japan or mm -hmm. bought one in Japan. And um, I was never able to follow up with that. But uh, the person in Dallas maybe. 12 years ago or something 10 12 years ago they said rick i'm ready to move on from this i've enjoyed it can you sell it for me so i got to sell that in a second time it was yeah. a real well, we know who ended up with that robert musco ended up with that bad boy. <laughs> so he's very yes. proud of that one and i don't yeah. blame him so i think what's wonderful about that item i mean you created one of the most sought after or i've not created but you found one of the most sought after led zeppelin items to date because this, you know, once it gets picked up in magazines and other forms, yes. I mean, it, it, there's just such a buzz in the fact that, you know, it's an unreleased album and with the great, it's pretty cool artwork on there, has a swan song. And yes. did you buy that unseen? Like you didn't know what it looked like. They were just saying, hey, we had this artwork. So when totally when unseen, totally unseen, you know, this Atlantic guy, you know, I, I'd have to go back and find out what year that catalog was to really recall where it was in my timeline. But I'm sure we had been talking about, you know, hey, I got, you know, a bunch of Manic Nirvana posters. Can you use them? Yeah, okay, send me a roll of 50 or two rolls yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And uh, and he said, I also got this. And I'm like, okay. Uh, and, take that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> take two yeah. if you have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it was really cool to, for that to unfold in that way. You know, one thing about that, there's always, um, you know, Rolling Stone or, or uh, I guess, uncut or mojo whatever yeah. magazines put out you know greatest guitarists of Record. all time yeah, yeah. you know it's always the same top five in a different order and stuff and um same thing occurs sometimes i know record collector out of the uk does rarest records and 
rarest collectible records. I've always felt that that cover should be higher in there. I understand that there's a lot of doo-wop collectors from the 50s that are, you know, these are one-of-a-kind things that are historical and whatever, and and they certainly deserve their attention. But uh, when you get more into the modern era or, you know, 80s even, that thing is you know, it, it's tremendously scarce. There's only three. Yeah. yeah. Well, and when you think of the band that put it out, I mean, they didn't yeah. do a lot of other things. It wasn't like they, you know, released promotions and didn't let it out. I mean, there was, there's not a lot of stuff by them. They, they're kind of cut and dry, you know, yeah. they around, put it out. There's not a lot of stuff laying around. So the fact that this was actually worked on and sitting there, it's, it's pretty impressive. You're right. You're right. It's terrific. It's terrific. I, I can't recall. I'd have to go back in my notes and I'm not even sure I still have them, but, um, you know, finding out why that was next. Why didn't it get um, put out? You know, uh, Jimmy and Robert and John Paul Jones had to approve every one of their, you know, releases and the artwork and the promotional aspect of things. And so somebody didn't like it, obviously. Yeah. It's such a classic artwork too. I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, that was like the new era of Led Zeppelin, right? All of a sudden they're in this field of ties on, you know, it's just so different from how they looked in 1969, (laughs) hanging out that window. You know what I mean? So yeah, Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about um, closing Merit Adventure. So you stopped in 2001. Yeah. What prompted you? I mean, it's such a su- successful business. I mean, you're great mail order providing all of us. Like I've always referred to you as the Amazon of Led Zeppelin because it, it was, you had everything <laughs> and it was so cool that there's one spot for it, but what, what brought you to close it down? Well, you know, there was a couple things. First, there was a business reason when the internet came, um, you know, a lot of things really became accessible to the average guy. You mm-hmm. know, when when my website came online in, you know, 94, 95, um, you know, what did everybody do? They went to Amazon, although that might have, you know, they bought a book at Amazon. They right. went to Yahoo. They might have done something with the uh, AOL. You know, later on in 98, they'd go to eBay and buy something or bid on an auction. You know, the, there wasn't the proliferation of sites that there is now. So you went to these and yet um communication through email certainly exploded a lot mm-hmm. quicker than sites and uh what happened was you know when i think of those one of a kind items that i was able to offer in those uh five catalogs throughout the year besides the uh big annual catalog you know i got those most of that stuff either by going to record shows people writing to me or or literally going through every page of goldmine magazine every week with a magnifying glass it's the same yeah yeah lots of us did and and i would write to overseas you know and and i get to the example of i remember um writing to a fella in france and uh he had some uh rock and folk i believe it was and um magazines and uh tremendous zeppelin cover you know We'd never seen them before in the States. Well, I would buy those for not very much because they were more prevalent there or common there. And I'd put them in my catalog for $75 or $100 because people never saw them and they always sold. And yet when the Internet came about, well, you know, it wasn't that long over a number of years that, you know, what I was paying for them was then available to everybody. And so that really cut into the business model of being able to offer things um at a premium unless they were really rare um you know i did a lot of books you know one thing about the catalogs through the years is everyone of course came together around led zeppelin and loved the music right so the music was gonna sell whether they whichever format they wanted whether it was lp or cd or even cassette Mm -hmm. um but uh besides that everyone also wanted the information so books sold like crazy most magazines sold really well after that you know, some people wanted the shirt, some people wanted the button, some people wanted the poster, but not everybody. But universally, they all wanted the music and the books. And so what did Amazon do? Well, a $20 book, they were selling at $12.99. I was paying eleven. Exactly. Yeah, they kind of cut out everybody. Yeah. So there was no way to compete that way. So the whole business model changed. But uh, I... I you know, that was one aspect about closing down merit adventures. Um, you know, besides that, my first marriage had just come to an end uh, around that time. I was exhausted after working uh, pedal to the metal for yeah. you know, many years. I can't tell you how many of those Zeppelin catalogs, six a year, 
I, we pulled all nighters on Wednesday night, the last week. We had to finish things up, get those boards, these paste up boards. You know, you had either 16 yep. boards or 20 or 32 go into the printer and they had to get there Thursday morning so that we would be able to pick them up on Friday morning and ship everything out. Because you, you, if we didn't mail it out on Friday, then we would get the Monday. It would take a whole week off. Yeah. Because if we sent them on Friday, you all got them on Monday yeah. and we got orders Tuesday from Europe. But uh, uh, otherwise, if we mailed them Monday, it was going to be a week before. So it was an income stream situation. So we had to get them done. We did a lot of all nighters. I was getting physically burned out. And um, so it wasn't that long till uh, I, I had some medical issues for about a year and a half. So um, the uh, decision was made and uh, um, I was ready to wrap that chapter up uh and uh made the decision in the fall of 2000 um i think it was the november catalog is when i call it my swan song catalog and and uh we did a fantastically unbelievable liquidation sale we sold about 80 percent of the things um i remember the, the 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 really amazing things i sold a physical graffiti white mat award for five thousand bucks to somebody uh uh, all of the objects in the box, the original objects in the box, they went. And uh, by January of 01 is when we closed the door right. and uh, moved on. Well, in true fashion that, you know, once you're out, they pull you back in. I know you also had the opportunity in, I think, 2009, 2010 to sell the collection of Shelly Kane, who was, from my understanding, a, a swan song employee. So she had some amazing stuff. So could you talk about what that was like being contacted and sure. selling these one-of-a-kind items, stuff you would see in books, and you finally see it in person? So talk a little bit about that. Wow. I mean, you know, from a personal standpoint of having, you know, I couldn't own everything, but I certainly could enjoy watching things go through my hands. Right. You know, I mean, it, back in the 90s, I had Jimmy Page's expired American Express card. Uh, you know, I, there were all sorts of things. There was a passport from somebody in there. There was a stage worn shirt of Roberts, whatever. But, um, you know, so when after I closed and, and I eventually wound up going to, into uh, business on eBay, and that's what I still do. Um, but the. Uh, uh, about once a year, I would uh, offer some Zepp collectibles through a website I started called ZeppelinCollectibles.com. Yep. And there was a lot of things up there. Uh, but about once a year, I would pull some rarities or dig some things out of this other 20% I still had um, and, uh, you know, offer those. So that's what I was doing probably from 2002 to 2008 or nine, And that's how Shelly Kay found me. Um, because uh, if you Googled Led Zeppelin collectibles, my website came up and somehow she found me. And um, so she sent some pictures the first time by email and I was blown away. Oh. This this lady told me what her experience was um, as a young person. She wound up working for attorney Steve Weiss yeah. in 68. And uh, Steve is the one that, along with Peter Grant, negotiated the unbelievable contract with Atlantic Records for Led Zeppelin One's first album, a $200,000 advance and 90% of whatever on, on all concert, you know, uh, contracts. And uh, so she worked in and she did a lot of other uh, worked on a lot of other artists as well. Um, I remember uh, there were quite some impactful names in, you know, classic rock history that uh, Steve Weiss worked for. And uh, so anyway, she was there all the way through CODA when they wow. closed in 1982. And uh, she ran the place. And and I learned that the the office was not, you know, this huge headquarters type thing. There was um, half a dozen folks there. And uh, she was pretty much the office administrator. And uh, so um, she was not a collector. But um, she did wind up with many things that she stashed. She obviously said, I wish I'd have stashed more. But <laughs> that was that was cool. And uh, the Swan Song also had an or well, Swan Song came about, obviously, in you know the mid 70s. Um, but uh, and that was Weiss's office was the headquarters for Swan Song in the States. And then they had their own office in uh, London as well. In fact, she had to travel to London at one point to to deliver some tapes. I remember uh, in the conversations, it was so cool to hear her stories. Yeah, 
so anyway, um, you know, she just sent these pictures and said, I have this, I have this, and I'm listening and I'm going, holy cow, this yeah. is amazing. And I, I said, you know, I'm not going to do the hard sell. I'm just going to listen. I'm going to help however I can and um, be an ally, however I can assist her. And uh, I don't know what her intentions were at that point. And uh, uh, we we wound up having a really nice exchange over several months and and, and a good rapport. And uh, I would say, yeah, I had one of those and I sold it for $3,000 or this I've never seen. If I, uh, you know, collectors have been asking me about this and or I've seen this in a book, but never in person. This is great. So we went that route. And eventually, by the end of the year, she said, Rick, what would you um, what could you do in order to help me uh, sell these things? And so I created what I figured was a three-point plan. You want to sell a third, a third, a third over about five months. Right. Uh, and we did them, I think, November, January, and March. You want to put the hardest stuff to sell first because whatever doesn't sell will still be there in January and still be there in March if collectors... <laughs> They'll see it. They'll grab it. So they need longer to sell. So we did it. The, and the best stuff came out probably. in, But there was still great stuff in each one for sure. And uh, so we had an arrangement and um, it was just really wonderful. Uh, I feel, you know, really honored that I could do this. I created a certificate of authenticity that she was willing to sign for each item. Cool, so yeah. to know they're from the uh, uh, Shelly K collection. Um one thing I did save uh, that I still have here is I have a signed Swan Song business card. And, oh, very uh, cool. Yeah. That, that one I wanted. And I said, Do you have a box of these? She said, No, I have like, <laughs> you know. So, uh, but Shelly's a good friend. Uh, we still touch base and um, uh, it's it's great. Uh, we exchange Christmas cards and emails. So. Oh, very cool. Well, talk about some of the items that were in there because one of the things that stand out on me is that Toby, uh, Toby Roberts jacket. Is that thing crazy or what? Because we've seen pictures of them on the Starship with John Paul Jones and John Bonham yeah. wearing these jackets in black and white. So you didn't know what color they were. And you get, I mean, you see this and yeah. it's like, Oh my gosh. I mean, this is the jacket. I mean, you know, it's authentic. You can't say it's, you know, made up someone made. Up. I mean, this thing is as authentic yeah. as it comes. That's so wild. You said that because when you first asked the question, the first thing that came to my mind was the Toby jacket. And there you go. <laughs> it, it was great. Um, yeah. And, you know, there were a couple other um, prototype jackets that didn't uh, get made, but even the ones that um, did, I, I said, well, how many were there? And she said, I think the order was for 20. Right. Four band members, Peter, um, Steve got one. There's six. She got one. You know, where the other 13 went, I don't know. <laughs> but it was quite limited. So, uh, yeah. and a thrill to see. Uh, I'd have loved to have all that stuff today. Oh, my gosh. I know. I think she had some bags in there and some other stuff. And reading yeah. Peter Grant's book, you know, and reading about how Swan Song was, it, like you said, it doesn't seem like it was a big office. There wasn't a lot of people there. So, and again, Zeppelin being Zeppelin, they didn't really, you know, license a lot of stuff. They weren't in the business of, you know, we're going to make a thousand of these and sell them. It's like, oh, let's make 20 of these or let's make 10 of these. You know, let's just see how it goes. And no one follows up on it, right? Let's get some samples and they probably don't follow up. So they made 20 of these jackets and, oh, well, let's move on to something else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's amazing. The, uh, uh, and, and, you know, back then, it wasn't like today. I mean, I would say that the pinnacle of uh, record store or record company spending, you know, like a drunken sailor for oh, every yeah. kind of promotional anything was, you know, late 80s. It was it was wonderful um, to be on, you know, see all around all that stuff, T-shirts, buttons, yeah. postcards, concert tickets, whatever, you know, parties and all that. Well, they, they wound up scaling back a lot of that stuff and. And uh, so in the 70s, that hadn't quite occurred yet. So yeah. um, there wasn't all that that much stuff. So, um, you know, one of the things, too, is that I'm, I'm so fortunate is that when Shelly and I wrapped up that portion and there's been a couple things that she found and, and whatever said, you know, I found this. Can you sell it? Whatever. But um, she turned me on to a couple other people from the office, you know, oh, cool. who's able to meet and interact and and sell items from Mitchell Fox's collection. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, uh, another fellow that his name escapes me, um, passed away a few years ago, but he's, he's on those swan song press kit releases, mm -hmm. his name. 
and uh, uh, we connected well, and I offered his things. Shelly also had help when um, they had to do a mail-out or something like that. Uh, in these press releases, you know, they would go to radio stations around the country and whoever was on the list. Um, anyway, uh, so she would get help from family members. She turned me on to her, <laughs> her, her, her little, her niece at the time came yeah. in, stuffed envelopes for her and wound up with like uh, front row tickets at Madison Square Garden for like four shows on the 75 tour. Not a bad so, place to be. <laughs> no. And so I got to connect with her. You know, I sold her slides from the front row. I, she had tickets. She had unused tickets. So uh, she had passes. Um, so, you know, Shelly was really um, wonderful to be able to connect me with others that had Very things. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Again, yeah. building those relationships. Talking about uh, promotions and stuff in the 70s and, and publicity and stuff, I think the biggest push that Zeppelin did and where most items have come out, and correct me if I'm wrong or kind of give me your opinion, is probably for the Swan Song release in 74 and 75 because they actually tried really hard because they came out with the plaques, they came out with the, the desk stands, and there was kind of a, that big display. Sure. So they really wanted to push this record label. It kind of dawned on me as you're talking about that in the 70s. But other than that, and in through the outdoor, there's not a lot of you know stuff that really they did right our friend robert has a lot of the you know big man of the 7980 yeah yeah um yeah i would also sense that uh, by the time maybe houses of the holy came out um that uh they were able to finagle more of a budget from atlantic right and and i sense that's why because you know like you say there wasn't that much through the first five albums uh you know there was a, a display or a, a mobile for for um how's the holy you know of course the blimps for one and three were great um but uh, other than that there wasn't much but yeah the uh you know once swan song came they wound up getting maybe uh, well that was distributed by warner brothers so maybe they kicked in when they had uh yeah some other clout with them i don't know but yeah and uh, i never counted song remains the same that much because that's more of a movie so there's a bigger budget on promotion and stuff for sure. movies so there's always stuff on there let's dive a little bit into memorabilia i kind of want to pick your brain on your thoughts on on some memorabilia and kind of give me the backstory on it um let's you mentioned the object in the box and of course this is another highly sought after memorabilia piece Sure. What is the backstory of this? Because I know there's only a thousand of them, but I've heard so many stories in the past and that there was a warehouse found with a bunch of them or a lot of them broke. So what is it or what do you know about this uh, piece? Probably similar to what you know, and and you, you hit on it. Uh, many of them did break. I know that. So what happened is, is when they were created, the, the first one, the guys at Hypnosis, who came up with the idea and said, what do you want to do with this? And, uh, you know, came up with the presence cover. And uh, so they, the statue was made and they said, well, let's, let's give these away. Let's have, you know, a run of these done. And they splurged and a thousand was way more than they needed for their own promotional purposes. Yeah. That's for sure. And they did not follow through with them. And uh, they were stored in a, a mini, mini warehouse in New York city. And um, so, uh, you know, they were sent out. Uh, I remember when uh, I came to Houston, um, I wound up connecting with my brother's roommate who had been a program director and gotten one of those. And uh, he was a program director in Richmond, Virginia, and they sent one to the station. So I'm like, whoa, I want that thing. And I gave him $20 five different times, probably over three months. <laughs> which was a lot of money for me. And I got my first real object for a hundred bucks. And uh, so uh, no box. And uh, so anyway, um, what I learned later was that, uh, you know, Zeppelin distributed whatever they felt they could or wanted to. The rest stayed in this mini warehouse. And uh, eventually, whether it was due to John Bonham's passing or just, um, you know, not being on the radar, the rent for the mini warehouse did mm -hmm. not get paid. And so the, like you see today on TV, you know, the, there was an auction and whoever bought them, uh, I don't know their story, but I do know that whoever bought them wound up getting them into the hands of a New York city dealer who was high profile and not only sold them themselves, but were looking for people like me to buy batches of, and they were selling them wholesale. 
And uh, so I was buying objects in the box for $100 a piece. I bought 20 of them at one time. I'll never forget that. I think it was a pallet showed up. And uh, (laughs) our little, our warehouse was pretty little. It was not huge or anything, but there was a few times that pallets showed up. And that was, that was one of them. And I remember, you know, I wish I'd have taken a picture of it. I would yeah. love to. That that yeah. in my mind would have been great. But uh, they were. I can see where they were all next to these shelves of magazines. You know, stacked five tall, five, 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 and and uh, you know, we'd get an order. You know, initially when I offered them, I sold a couple, but uh, they didn't fly off the shelf. Uh, they were offered at two hundred fifty, I think, then two hundred ninety nine dollars. And, and back then, that was a lot of money too. In the nineties, I mean, that, that's money. you know, a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, even the ones that I would get in collections that were uh, came my way without a box, I would probably probably for a hundred, hundred fifty. So sealed in the box. I'll never forget some fella over in Europe, uh, Eastern Europe, bought one. Uh, bless his heart, I feel so bad. But uh, uh, he paid the three hundred bucks, and probably a fifty dollars yeah. at the time was a lot to ship it. You know, today it'd be two hundred bucks. But know. customs opened it. Oh. And I I felt so bad for him. There was no way around it. You know, yeah. I mean, they wanted to see that it was a statue. That's what we put on the customs form, plaster statue. So, um, but anyway, uh, I remember buying those. And by the end of the 90s, there were no more to be had wholesale. And, um, and they weren't like today. I mean, we had them sitting there for a couple right. of years. Yeah. I mean, in that price point, you kind of wish, you know, talk about mortgaging your house. I have a little like mortgage it and get that pallet because it's amazing how much those are going for right now. And especially sealed in the box because, you know, the sure. idea of someone getting that, no one wants to not uh, not open it. I mean, because you, it's an object. And I think it's one of the coolest Zeppelin pieces too. Now that it's been on Pawn Stars and Brian Knapp was on the show, you know, even people at my work know about it. It's like, hey, Mark, you got an object. Can you get me one? I'm like, yeah, get six grand. I'll find one for you. You know, there were a, there were several people that bought those objects in the box from me and opened them. They were I'm like they were. I remember there were a couple were like radio or, or something industry people, music industry people, and they didn't care. I didn't have one out of the box, and they said, "I want one for my you know coffee table." And so they'd get it and they'd open it right then, which tells me the ones in the box that are right. still sealed are just remarkably rare now. Right. Well, how do you tell a difference from, because there's a lot of fake ones. How yeah. do you tell a difference from a counterfeit object to the real object? The, the one thing I usually say is that once you've seen a real one, you will always know always. what a real one is. The um, uh, reproductions uh, were done in a semi-gloss black paint rather than the flat black that's one of the things also the these and i'm talking about the initial 80s run and there was about 600 of those i believe that were made in the 80s and into the 90s um they were all individually numbered as well um and uh uh so the uh, reproductions also have a lot of imperfections you know they're the the slant on the originals is a real beautiful sharp slant. Smooth. On the repro, yeah. it's almost a bubble. Um, yeah. you know, the the edge around the bottom of it, if you turn it upside down, the edge on the bottom is almost like they took a uh, you know a little nail file or something and just you know round it. No, the real ones are are sharp corners, sharp edges. So that's one way of doing it. And I agree with you one hundred percent. Once you see a real one, you you definitely know. Um, yeah. Speaking of that, I actually bought my first object from you in, at the New Jersey convention <laughs> in 1988. And I'm looking back and you were, we were um, in Dave Taylor's booth right next to you. There's those yeah, magazines. Yeah. And yeah. I remember we're sitting there like, this guy is just selling this stuff like crazy. And I remember you wrapping <laughs> these objects. I'm like, how do you even ship all those? Because I, I always loved your displays at the, the conventions too, because you didn't mess around. You went and got the big old 10 foot wall yeah. on the back, mounted yeah. everything. It's like Rick Barrett in the house. So yeah, that was pretty was awesome. Fun. Yeah, I love I, marketing stuff. Yeah, and I'm thinking back, like, why, you know, I'd be so worried now at my old age taking it on the plane and worried about it breaking, but somehow I got it home and didn't worry about it at all. But again, I was 17 at the time. So you're like, eh, throw it in with the, everything else. So very- We drove up to Jersey. We oh, had cool. so much stuff. We drove a whole van up. Yeah. yeah that was a good one. It was great. It was one of the biggest paydays of my life. <laughs> Talking about memorabilia and stuff and then counterfeits and stuff, maybe you could talk a little bit about one, the in through the outdoor 
promo poster. How could I tell a difference from the original versus um, a, a reproduction? Well, like the object, uh, first of all, if you've seen an original, you'll probably always know. But uh, one way is the originals are on thicker stock. So uh, the others were on pretty flimsy. Right. Um, I know who made those. And uh, uh, she was a lady that was in her mid-70s whose son or something had a printing company. She mm. also was instrumental in making, I don't know whether all of them, but she did thousands of the Led Zeppelin 77 tour program. The black oh, thing. Yeah, those have been around for the a while. Per- yeah. The same person did those. And I say it, the, she's God bless her soul, probably not around anymore. Right, so right. that's okay. But um uh, the way to tell then is uh, the Swan Song logo. If you uh were to take if, if somebody ever you know wants to know whether theirs is real or not, if they take a, a picture of the Swan Song logo and email it or compare it the repo is just too fuzzy um, yeah because the lines are really small so as soon as you repo that you lose a lot yeah. of the detail right and and actually the color green on the grass the color green is is a bit yellower i believe it I is on the repo so side by side and and i wish i had um you know when i closed there were several things like that the 1980 tour over europe poster i wish i had taken pictures side by side because it would help collectors you know, um, so many of the 1980 ones come up and they are offered as real. And it's like, yeah, no, those aren't. Well, even the um, Nebworth ones, too. Those, I'm pretty sure those are all reproduced as well. Those right, are- right. Yeah, you got to remember that they didn't need that many. You know, how many right. tour over Europe posters, if they did the same run, uh, you know, however many dates around there, you know, the guy looking up in the sky and there's the dates around him, um, you know, they didn't need but yeah. a few hundred. Yeah. And I know I sold 3,000 of those things. <laughs> exactly, right. And they were different sizes. They were different color red. Some had a white border. Some didn't have a white border. So, um you know, when I see them today, it's like, no, I, I can tell just like that, whether it's an original or not. Well, what about the 77 tour program? Because that's always been known as being uh, reproduced as well. I mean, can you tell the difference? Because the photos in them never really look that good. So right. can you tell the difference of uh, original versus a reproduction? The, the way to tell that. And uh, Elaine Blay, B-L-A-I-S uh, in Canada, did a, a couple uh, spiral bound yeah, um, I remember publications for for programs, and he did. He, uh, I've got one over here, and he wound up um, having examples of the originals next to the repros. And the, right off the bat, the registration on the repro isn't as good. Um, and I'm talking about really the blue uh, that is inside the letters L E D Z E P P E L I N on the and, cover. And, right, and and the color on the originals is a lighter blue. And uh, I remember where I got mine. I got mine uh, from uh, uh, the Texas Jam. Bill Graham Productions had a booth there. And uh, I'm, you know, I bought one in their store for six bucks. And they gave me a little plastic bag. And that thing, by the time I got back to Houston, you know, 36 hours later, it was beat up and, you know, sweaty and whatever. But I saved that. And that's how I've been able to know there was an original. Yeah, I've often wondered about that because I never thought the pictures were that good anyway in the original ones. Right, right. Very odd that they would do that. (laughs) Yeah. Again, thank you for joining me, Rick, and kind of sharing your story. I want to, we'll kind of wrap it up. But before I do on every podcast, I always ask like a a kind of one word question or one word answer question from you. So I'll go through the list and you can kind of give me your answer on it. And of course, it's all Led Zeppelin related. Um, Favorite Led Zeppelin LP? LP? Physical graffiti. Least favorite LP? Um, probably Coda. Favorite song? Rock and roll. Nice. Least favorite song? Uh, All of My Love. And are you a bootleg guy or an official guy? Bootleg guy. Okay, right on. No. Yeah. Then first bootleg you listened to? Had to be Bad Shoulders Only Part 1 classic um then last bootleg you've listened to uh what's that johnny kid and the pirates oh yeah 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 don't check and then favorite led zeppelin live year live year uh 
I love 77. It's so decadent and horrible. They were terrible on that tour, but I didn't care that I was, I was a kid that was partying and it was heaven to me. Right. I know through listening to the earlier tours. And that's actually when I asked people, what do you collect, you know, or what is your, your um, connection with uh, collecting Zeppelin? Do you like early, middle or late? And uh, I'm definitely that 77. Nice. Nice. And then Robert Plant fan or Jimmy Page fan? It depends. Um, I gosh, I'd have to go with Robert. (laughs) Okay. And then favorite solo project? Solo? Um, Honey Grippers. Any final thoughts? Anything you want to kind of plug your eBay site, your um, give out your email address, all that good stuff. Let us have it. Sure. Well, email, I'm always happy to help, uh, you know, with any questions you might have or, or, you know, I don't sell much Led Zeppelin memorabilia anymore, but uh, I do get a lot of emails asking questions about things or sometimes I'm able to direct people. My email is Rick Barrett Mail, and that's R-I-C-K and then B-A-R-R-E-T-T-M-A-I-L. Rick Barrett Mail at Comcast.net. And uh, uh, my eBay store is called Rick's Auctions. And I still sell memorabilia. My main focus is on offering old concert tickets and stubs. And I have about 7,000 of them right now, including a few zapped and, uh, you know, maybe a couple dozen page and plant related. And I love collect, connecting with fans around live music and old concerts and bootlegs. And uh, this is just a great way for me to combine two passions, which I really love. So, uh, um, it's it's great to connect with Zeppelin fans and uh, especially those from the fa- the past who might uh, uh, have enjoyed getting my catalogs. Perfect. Well, thanks, Rick. Thanks for joining me. You enjoy your day, okay? Thanks so much, Mark. Okay. Great to spend time with Always you. Always great. Yeah. Have a good one. Bye. All right. Well, there you have it. That was Rick Barrett, the one and only Rick Barrett. Thanks again, Rick. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and kind of get your insight on collecting and being a dealer in the wonderful time from 1985 to 2001. Until then, happy holidays. Listen to some Zeppelin. Rock on.